just past 7 o'clock, and what do you know? Love Monday nights. It's time for Iron Sports. 95.9 True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. And Ira, doesn't it get frustrating to you at a certain point when, you know, we listen to other people in the media, and there's this weird, um, this weird vibe that there's nothing going on right now in sports, whereas... We find plenty to talk about. You find plenty to attend. Maybe there's no live football games, but there's plenty going on in the world of sports. Well, I think most of Sports Talk Radio this week was a breakdown of the Golden Globes. <laughs> uh, a lot of talk about the crown um, and a lot of talk about the Prince Harry and Meghan interview, which... Important stuff. Important stuff. Relating to sports, I think Harry was <laughs> watching some soccer or something like that. And uh, so, I mean, it's unbelievable when I listen to Sports Talk Radio and listen to this constant talk about everything they can talk about but sports. So, we, I... I find there's tons of sports. I like this time. This is great. And South Florida, we talked about this. We're going to have one of the best tennis tournaments in the United, in the world, the Miami Open, at the end of the month. We have the Players' Champ, the Bay Hill in Orlando this weekend, then the Players' Championship in Jacksonville, then the Honda back here in West Palm Beach. Three tournaments in a row. We just had a NASCAR race. We had Daytona two weeks ago. We have spring training. We have four baseball teams playing within, what, 10 minutes of the station, yeah. playing every single day for five with the Mets coming down here and playing mm -hmm. from Port St. Lucie. I mean, what more? I mean, to me, this is we, we had a heavyweight, we had a super middleweight championship fight down at Miami Gardens. You have the Heat now playing the best basketball, which I can't wait. You could run down to see a game there. You have the Panthers playing, which are doing great this year. Yeah. So, I mean, there is so much sports to go on. It, it, those aren't real sports fans. People that only get excited for Sundays are not the people that uh, that we consider ourselves because we're excited every day for it. You know, I mentioned that you attended a, some live sports this week. Two events for you in the books in one day. Yeah. So now we're back. <laughs> we went to went to Homestead uh, for the. Dick and you were really impressed with this. Oh my gosh. It was great. It was awesome. And then I went to the Miami Heat, the second half of the Miami Heat game because the race ran late. So I went to the second half of the Miami Heat game. So I can tell everything about all the COVID protocols at the Heat game, which is a lot different than other things. And one thing is there's dogs related to this. And when you said to me dogs, I thought you meant like, you know, bring your dog to the park day like they do for the Marlins. It was not that at no, all. No, <laughs> I think we could solve the COVID problem because they have like 30 dogs there that are, that go and determine if someone has COVID or not. So that's how they do their COVID tracing. And the dogs. Now, I did come from the Dixie block of 400, and I was eating popcorn, so my hands were full of popcorn, and the dogs seemed more interested in my hands and the popcorn on my hands than if I had COVID or not, but they determined I did not have COVID, and I could go through, so. <laughs> I'm glad that that uh, worked out for you. One thing that did get a lot of um, press this past week and uh, is definitely Tiger Woods, and I think we're all really happy to, to know that um, he is okay right now going through some surgeries. We don't know what that's going to mean for his career, but you're familiar with the area he was in, and people you know can kind of relate to uh, what happened here and how he kind of got himself in some trouble. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we're used to in Florida just driving on roads like 95 and, and just driving around. I, I, I work a lot in L.A. and have been there a lot. I find it very hard to drive. You, you're driving down. I mean, everyone's, you look at L.A. on these super speedways and highways, and but really it's these side roads, and the side roads are four-lane or two-lane highways that people are driving on, and they're curvy, and they're downward, and they're over. It's, it's something where people are driving 40, 50 miles an hour, and you're actually going, I mean, I think the speed limits are too heavy, fast on those because I think they're, I find it difficult. And then there's always these medians in the road. They use these um, stones or whatever. And sometimes if you hit that, it does it does mess your tire up and you could see where you could go one way. I, it's To me, I always find it dangerous. I've seen cars crash. I mean, supposedly the, the road that he was on, uh, there has been fatalities this year already at that same spot. Um, so it's I find everything dangerous. And I just, I, from that hotel, when people said, oh, he was rushing out of the hotel, I know friends have stayed at that same hotel and they said it's the worst valet service mm -hmm. in, in terms of getting your car like they usually call two three hours ahead of time because they know they'll never get the car up because 
they park it like miles away and bring it. Um, but uh, I just think that, you know, of course, it's just horrendously tragic. So, and, you know, we're going to bring on um, best-selling author Kurt Sampson a little bit later. We've had him on the show before. He's great, and he knows everything there is to know about Tiger. And also, he's going to be able to relate this to Ben Hogan. Well, he's he is a, a great golf writer, has, has about half a dozen books just on golf. And he has the seminal biography he wrote in the 1990s about Ben Hogan, who was in horrendous at age 37 uh, when a Greyhound bus hit him head on uh, in the middle of his golf career. And he went back and then after that and won six majors. It's crazy. Uh, when he, the doctors told him he could not walk again, he would not walk again. You'll be and definitively told he wasn't going to walk. And suddenly within three years and, nine, and three majors in one year, which is just amazing. And he walked with a limp. And so I think it's interesting because he's wrote a book on Tiger and Ben Hogan. And we can just relate I mean, the similarities in terms of the situations and, and talk to him about that. No, that'll be great. Uh, Kurt Sampson, bestselling author, joins us at 730 here on Iron Sports. All right, let's talk about Homestead. I mean, this is something, it's right in our backyard, Ira, and I don't think enough people know that, you know, major races happen just south of Miami. Well, it opened in 1995, um, 25 years ago, and that's why this, this was a big race for and it was after Hurricane Andrew. They felt mm. they needed to do something for South Florida, and it had seats 55,000 fans, not like the Daytona with over 100-some thousand fans. Um, it's one and a half miles, not Daytona's two and a half miles, and so you run for, for 400 miles, it's 267 laps. And it was designed like Indianapolis 500, the same designers sort of work with that, but they decided not to do it that way, but they changed it. They've been changing over the years, and I want to tell you something. I loved it better than Daytona. You had the cars, you actually saw them racing with where you sat, you could watch and see passing and I mean I'm like I know people are like don't turn the radio off I am a big NASCAR fan like I'm starting to become <laughs> like I thought this was great I mean I had a great seat in row 38 I learned you got to sit up higher to watch the race if you sound low you can't see but unlike in horse racing when I go to Belmont and you're or the Kentucky Derby when you try to see when the horses are you can't find it you can spot the cars the whole way around and I just love the fact that they were racing and I felt like it was you could see the pits and you're right in front of the pits so even like in, in football when they go to commercials you're like bored but when you're there at a racetrack, like during, there's no commercial time. They're either running on the course or they're getting their pit stop and you can see where the timing is and all the drivers. And they're literally right in front of you when they're fixing the cars. And uh, I, this is interesting racetrack because the infield's very small. They don't even park all the cars there. And I just think it's cool that literally you can follow in, because the cars are so colorful, you can follow them the entire way around. Um, the one thing is it is so loud. If you go to these races, you have to wear, like I have these like little mm -hmm. muffler things you wear on your head. And it really works. I mean, because I, I just, you put them on and I listen to, you have to have the radio. You have your radio on and your mufflers on. And some people have the things on their head and then they have microphones so they can talk to each other. That's a good it's idea. so loud. But like, I you don't even want to take it off because if you took it off for a second, it's like, oh, it's so loud. Deafening. I, I have no <laughs> idea how people sit there without anything on their ears. It's impossible for me to believe that they can do that. I think that's more impressive than the people who drive. <laughs> they drive so fast. But um, I just absolutely found it fun and exciting to go to. And I did like, this was racing, I didn't see a Daytona. I love the fact that you can go outside, if you have a favorite driver, you can go buy the merchandise of the driver from the different uh, the things that they have. So they have different, mm -hmm. so it's cool. Like when I go to a Steeler game and it's away and I'm like, oh, I wanna buy a Steeler something. You only can buy like the home team, but you can't buy, it's like when you go, I used to go to the NFL draft when a lot, or the NBA draft, when you have all the different teams and everybody's wearing their favorite team. I, I got that feel, like it's really cool. Like I, I like that aspect of that. Is it like, do you happen to know the financials behind it? Are they? 
responsible for their own merchandise and they make the money off it? Is it owned by the team? The or teams, NASCAR? the teams do it, and they're they're part of the teams. The teams have it, and then they're part of the they're part of it. But I like each like their drivers are like drivers of four teams, like the Hendrick Motorsports team, yeah. which is Chevy, and there's Toyota, and there's Ford, and everything. So you have the different trailers that have the different merchandise for all the different things. So it's pretty cool. And I want to think there were tons of kids there, and it's great. I mean. I think I must have, when I was little, I loved collecting Matchbox toys and yeah. like cars. I, I think that this is triggering me because I'm not going to say I'm going <laughs> to go to NASCAR races every week because this is the two in Florida and I don't think I'll go to anything else the rest of this year. But it was exciting to go down looking this weekend. Do I want to go watch spring training, which I've got 30 more days to, or I go watch golf uh, and I'm like, I got three more tournaments coming up to watch golf. So I felt like this would be cool to go see and I enjoyed Daytona. I actually love this more than Daytona. So. Why is that? I mean, well, Daytona I is the, was, like the mecca. I know, but I just think it was cool. You could see all the races. It's more racing, more of the draft. Like, actually, the cars were, you could literally see cars racing against each other. It was like out of the movies. Like, it was, that's how cool when you're there and you can see it. I mean, I'm going to mention, we're going to talk about it real fast. Uh, Kevin Harvick had the fastest race car in the last 20 seconds, or last 20 laps. And he pitted, and then he was like behind. And he literally was going in and around the field. Like, this is out of Talladega Nights or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like going in and out, trying, and he finished in ninth place, but he had to go through the whole four car field and he's weaving in and out like will ferrell like driving through i mean it's great it's very cool it's stuff. true that was like a true story <laughs> it's 7 13 iron sports true all these channel uh best-selling author kurt sampson joins us at 7 30 so let's talk about the race it's been not necessarily the names we've been uh, anticipating well I, we talked about in sports how the big names like the lakers and the dodgers have won, t- won titles in nascar so far this year it's weird it's like michael mcdowell had a one and it was like an 80 to one shot mm-hmm. won the daytona 500 christopher bell won the road course and now William Bryan now and I, for the sports fans who don't know William Bryan is it's an interesting like sports type story because uh, Chad Knauss is his was his crew chief and Chad Knauss has worked with Hendrick Motorsports with Jimmy Johnson and Jeff Gordon and won all these titles is famous he's like the he's the quote, biggest name the Bill Belichick and, yeah. and, and those of, of, of crew chiefs well, anyway, they didn't do well last year. So this year they brought Rudy Fugel, Ru, Fugel, Fugel in. I'm probably mispronouncing the name. And Fugel was when Bryan used to run trucks back in the series three, four years ago. He's only 23, so he's like 18, 19 years old. And he did was very successful. So it's like bringing the, your college offensive coordinator <laughs> back in, which they do in the pros all the time. Like, say, let's see if this will work with Bryan. Yeah. And it has, and it, it certainly works out right. If it's like riding a, a NASCAR is different than a truck. But the fact is, this, and it's weird for Hendrick to bring it. It's also like, it's weird for it to bring outside the system. Usually Hendrick just promotes from within. It was weird that they went outside the Hendrick umbrella to bring in a, a crew chief, but it worked out perfectly, and he won his first race and, and ran fantastic, and, and that was what what made it so good. I mean, uh, Denny Hamlin won the pole, and that's the famous number 11 you would see where your PJs, the FedEx commercial, the Domino's commercial. PJs. Yeah, it's PJs, but the girls said they run that. My mom loves that commercial. Me too. And, uh, and, but he finished in, in last. Uh, he, I mean, he had to start out in last place because there was some something with his car, so even though he won the poll. But, and the first, it, it's weird. It, the race started with like 100 degrees. It was so hot and it was super windy and it's bright, but they ended in the cold. And the radio kept saying, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. And you could see as it was getting colder and darker as the track, as it went on, because the race was like three and a half hours long, the, some cor- cars that were ran, ran great early ran poor at the end. I mean, huh. at the beginning of the race, Brad Kozlowski and Chris Buescher, and they went for like the last 15 laps on the first stage. They were like racing in and out, in and out. Like that's why the stage I don't really like staging, but I thought that was pretty cool to watch that. And uh, Busher won the opening stage. I mean, he led 57 laps in the race. The most he ever led before was like 15 in a race. And then Kurt Busch was complaining, my car stinks, my car, you hear over the radio, my car's awful. He ended up, you 
having the fastest car the last 30 laps of the race. It just shows how you can go fix it and everything. Now, the one thing different than this was not a lot of accidents. There was like four cars blue, but there was no accident because they're not going as fast as Daytona and they're not drafting a part of each other, the, the other thing. And then uh, what happened is then the second stage, it was pretty neat because Hamlin and Truex, Hamlin was actually able to work himself back to the front and Hamlin and Truex were battling. They, there, was an act, there was a blown engine. They left one lap left. So they had to sprint for that final lap. And Hamlin and Truex are, are teammates. They're on the same Toyota team mm -hmm. and uh, Joe Gibbs Racing. And they were racing and they, I guess Truex got mad at Hamlin because they were battling and William Bryan went underneath both of them and won the stage. And <laughs> Truex like yelling at Hamlin on the radio, like, what were you doing? And calling him names. Like, you can hear that. Like, you don't hear it. Like, cool. Right, it's cool. You don't have like Russell Wilson yelling at Pete Carroll. You can't hear stuff <laughs> like that. So, and then, but all Brian, William Bryan did the rest of the way was just run great. I mean, he led 102 out of 267 laps. And as I said, the only thing really at the end that was amazing though was Kurt Busch had the fastest car, but had to, 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 to catch him down. But he just ran away with the field and did great. I mean, over Tyler Reddick, uh, Mark Truex, and, and Kyle Larson uh, and won it. And, uh, but it, it was so funny when the races end, I, I do have to say this at the end of the NASCAR race, they do not have the, the it's just so anticlimactic. Everyone rushes out. So it's like they have this <laughs> really? thing. I've never, like, I've never even seen in football games. People just run out super fast after it's over. And then they just, the celebration, you see on TV when the car's driving around, but it's not that great when it's there. Everyone seems not to be paying attention. So I think I did like the fact that like the ending of the race was it like everyone, I just couldn't believe, I guess they're used to the traffic being so poor and mm -hmm. horrendous after these things. But it was great. I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. And I would go probably try to find one more to go before football season, like during the summer. You got to do Watkins Glen in New York. I've always wanted that. And it's that's a road course, road too, course, I think. Yes. So that'd be pretty cool. Um, you know, we, we mentioned a little golf earlier, talking about Tiger Woods. But a guy that I think most golf fans have gravitated towards in the past year or so is Colin Morikawa. The guy is just exciting. He always has the biggest smile on, and he just seems to do things the right way, and he got a big win uh, here at the Workday WGC. Well, the WGC, so people don't understand, it's, it's usually under the majors. There's four of these. They started in uh, 1999, and there's three or four men's summer match play, but these events are the right under the right under the four majors, mm -hmm. the US, you know, those those events. And the winner gets seventy-eight points, the majors they get hundred points on. Tigers won eighteen WC events and D Justin Johnson six. The weird thing that people kept saying is like because Morikawa won this, now he won the major PGA last year. And mm -hmm. this, he's besides Tiger and him are the only two that have won those two, have won a WC event and a major event. But of course, it didn't start till 1999. <laughs> so you know, every golfer that played mm -hmm. before, like Jack Nichols didn't play in WGC events. So it's, <laughs> that's ridiculous. That's the stupidest of stat course. I've ever heard. Like, they don't even mention that. But Morikawa, we know, is 24 years old, and he began the PGA Tour with 22 cuts in a row. Only Tiger was better at 25. It's interesting about Morikawa. He played four years at Berkeley. So he played four years of college golf. Remember, Tiger played one year at Stanford, yeah. some of these other, and he's fourth in the world. And, but and he's but he's only played in four majors, so he's really someone who, when we're looking at the next great golfer, it, it could be him. I mean, after the break, the, after we had the break for COVID, he was second at Colonial, first at Murrayfield, first at PGA Championship, sixth in the Tour Championship. But then this year, like you know, missed the cut at the Open, missed the cut in the Vegas tournament. He was 44th in the Masters. So I really thought this was an important. Like he really wasn't playing well this year, mm -hmm. and I thought this was an important tournament for him to come on and really come. His 43rd in Genesis last week and coming to win this tournament, I think he sets himself up great because people say, look, his game is perfect for the Masters and, and, the, and just 
Puts him probably one of the top three or four favorites for the Masters. I know that he, he putted really well, and I don't know if you heard this, but guys like um, O'Meara, like, you know, guys that have retired years ago are helping him out, try, try to get a little bit of a feel for this course because it di didn't suit his game and maybe not enough exposure there. But really cool to see him get back in the winner's circle. And this is, I'm hoping that we don't see a fizzle off with him like we have with a lot of golfers over the past half decade or so, but I got a really good feeling that Morikawa keeps it up. Um, so let's talk about the, let's talk about this here because this was a, a really fun watch from, from the beginning. Well, I watched Saturday. I didn't, I just followed Sunday because I was at the race and it, the internet was horrendous, but I could just follow what was going on. But it was interesting that Brooks was uh, 11 under going into Saturday and uh, he looked out of it. He had, he had a couple of bogeys. He was like, at one point, I mean, this tournament could have been over Saturday, but Morikawa was up like seven, six strokes, mm -hmm. but then he gave it back. He had some bogeys at the last holes. I mean, the two par fives, when you expect him to get birdies on, he bogeyed them and sort of let the field back. Mm -hmm. So it was only up a couple strokes going into Sunday. Uh, Cameron Smith, this is so fun. Cameron Smith on Saturday was sitting at 12 under in the lead and he at four at the fourth hole he triple bogeyed on five bogeyed on eight bogeyed at 11 and doubled on 13th and he was four times he hit the ball in the water Sounds which is like not me. a lot at this tournament mm -hmm. it's hard to hit. he ended up shooting a 77 for the day and just totally falling out and uh but more cow you know he ended up uh, up up three strokes going into uh, two strokes going up this Sunday uh but you know McElroy was in the mix at 11 under Billy Horschel had an eagle on 17 that 17 that more cow bogeyed Horschel had an eagle on. Uh, but on Sunday, Morikawa started out to uh, bogey on two, but then just birdies on five, seven, nine, and 12. And so he was at, he finished the day at 18 under. And Brooks, he had been saying that he's had neck pain, neck problems. They mm -hmm. talked about he was rolling with a ball on his neck and everything like that. Uh, but you know, he just stayed. He never felt like he could put the pressure on him. You always saw he was following the scores. Just didn't feel like he had with three or four strokes the whole day. And uh, really, Hovland started the day on fire with five five birdies. Victor Hovland, the, the, another young golfer. Yeah, you know, it seems like when Morikawa yeah. plays well, Hovland plays well, and uh, he shot a 67, finishing 15-3. So Horschel, Hovland, and Brooks all finished at 15 under. Uh, McElroy, who was sort of in the mix, shot a 71, couldn't get in. Uh, what's some other golfers? Justin Thomas was 10 strokes back. Bryson DeChambeau started the day. I mean, he's got to get it going because he's really not been playing well this year. A 77 to start, had a 72. Mm -hmm. Max Homa, who won the Genesis, finished in 22nd place. Uh, John Rahm, again, just another, just a four under. He was 14 strokes back the number two player in the world uh, and Dustin Johnson <laughs> I don't know, know what he was doing. Started out the 77 and ended with a 78. He finished 54th at a 72-person uh, field. So. Weird. But it was nice that they wore red. I, I do think that was great in honor Tiger. Tiger appreciated um, I do think that some of the golfers got criticized a little bit uh, unfairly for not wearing red because it's like the Nike golfers did that. They, they wear what Nike tells them, whatever color. But some other golfers don't. And I just felt it was unfair to criticize. Like Morikawa didn't wear red, so people mm -hmm. were mad. But Morikawa then said appreciates Tiger, everything he does. I think we during the tournament I think it was a little I don't know I just didn't think they got abuse they didn't really need to get for not wearing red and they may have superstition you don't know what is going through these guys heads it's not necessarily a knock on Tiger you know to have done what they wanted as opposed to follow everybody else you know I'm not gonna hold that against them right I think some commentators were making a bigger deal about it than I think it should I don't I think everyone in the tournament said I think there's not one person that say the most you know we hope Tiger wish Tiger everything um, and I just think the red thing was a nice gesture Tiger did tweets that he appreciated I think it was great 
great. But the fact that not every 70 golfers want Ward, I don't think that's a, an issue. So we don't talk all that much LPGA on this show, but I follow Golf Digest, the PGA Tour, all these um, you know publications. And all they show you is these two sisters who are great right now. It's the Corda sisters. And we've actually talked about them indirectly on this show before. Well, Nellie Corda won the LPGA via that. She's 22. She's now had four wins. Her sister, Jessica, is 28. She has, she has six wins. So they have 10 wins combined. Mm -hmm. And the most amazing thing is that Sebastian Corda is a top is number 80 in the world. We saw him at the Delray. He was in the finals of Delray. Sebastian Corda could be the next great young we were American. For him. Right. And this is <laughs> and his father, Petra Corda, uh, was one that was one of Grand Slam, the Australian Open was one of the top, I think, five players in the world. So it's a I and I'm like, we're just wondering like what what family has been brothers and I mean, we've had we talked about the footballs, TJ Watt, JJ Watt, yeah. the Mannings, the Pounceys, basketball, Gasols, uh Stefan and Seth Curry, the Plumley brothers, the, uh, yeah, the tennis. We had Brian brothers, uh, Klitschko in uh, in the foot basketball in boxing, hockey. You got the Stahl family. How many? Four. Yeah, four. That's <laughs> unbelievable. We have Bush brothers in auto racing, um, and in different sports, uh, John Jones is a great one of the best UFC fighters, and his brother Chandler Jones played for the Patriots and Arizona mm -hmm. Cardinals, and great. But and sisters, we have Venus and Serena. But rarely do we have a brother. Now this is no brother and two sisters, but even a brother and a sister. Yeah, it doesn't happen. And I would just think it would be Reggie Miller, who is a great for the Pacers, and his sister Cheryl Miller, who this was before the WNBA, but who was at USC was considered one of the greatest mm -hmm. college basketball players of all time. So I think Cheryl Miller and Reggie Miller would be some sort of comparison. It's a little old school when you see Reggie on TNT. And Cheryl does commentator too. But I think that's it, this is amazing. If Sebastian is as good as people think he is, this would be amazing. What if they would have the best female golfer and the best male tennis player in the world as brothers and sisters would be amazing. You're forgetting about your former Pittsburgh Penguin buddy, Phil Kessel, whose sister is one of the best female hockey American hockey players of all time, captain of Team America. So there's another brother-sister team that nobody would think about because Phil's not quite as good as his sister. Well, and maybe some people say Cheryl was better than Reggie. Yeah. Cheryl's considered the best women's basketball player of all time, and Reggie's not. So that would be an issue. But that would, I just think we should, we're going to follow these quarters, and I would love to get Let's get them on the show. I will try it. It's hard. But you know what? I would love to. Bradenton, the South yes, Florida people. Yes, so. yes, yes. Well, we're, we're, look, we have three three, three um, siblings. We hopefully can get one of them on. <laughs> Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. 725, I'm Mike Balsamo, just about five minutes. So we get to uh, best selling author Kurt Sampson. So, Ira, I'm getting really, I don't want to say fed up, but it, this merry-go-round that we seem to have of news stories circulating around NFL quarterbacks and where they're going to land. Uh, Russell Wilson is the new one now, ever since a Dan Patrick interview a week ago, that now they say he's going to be out of uh, Seattle. But Deshaun Watson, the Houston Texans are holding strong. He's not going anywhere. And the more I'm looking at this, I don't think he is either. Well, I mean, the point is, again, people say, well, they should trade Deshaun Watson. He wants he signed the contract. And I know signing contract and how the situation is. But once they sign it, they pay you guaranteed money and a signing bonus. So that's the point is he signed the, the signing bonus and it's four years, $160 million. But he signed a, almost a $27 million bonus. If they trade him, they have a, quote, a dead money cap yeah. of $25 million because you, because suddenly all every all of the bonus is accelerated to that year. It's like if you do your taxes and you sell a piece of property, it's depreciation. I don't, don't want to get too accounting confusing <laughs> but it's sort of like that the point is it's not so easy just if the dead cap money is so high that if you trade someone if you trade him you're going to be eating you're going to your cap you're going to be paying someone we're going to use the Russell Wilson example 
It's his dead cap is $156 million. It's crazy. So because of his signing bonus, he signed a $65 million signing bonus. So how in the world, if you have a, a, a cap of $180 million, they can't have $56 million go to one player. Dude's and not on the team. It's on a team. <laughs> and so the idea is that I think Deshaun, we'll see what happens with Deshaun. Now, Russell... I think will be traded. It seems like there is a there is definitely. I mean, Russell Wilson's comments were like, "They haven't given me an offensive line. I get sacked too much." But the point is, is that they've traded for Jamal Adams last year. Uh, they the wide receivers. DK Metcalf is the, one of the best young wide receivers in the league that we've seen. Uh, Tyler Lockett's another great wide receiver. Their offensive line, yes, is causing problems, but he causes his own sacks. I mean, he led the league in sacks with 52. Carson Wentz 50. Watson 49. It's funny we're talking about the quarterbacks that had the most yeah. sacks. <laughs> Daniel Jones 45. But then it's weird that guys like Brady have 20. Seven, Breeze at 13, Rivers at 19, if it's Patrick at 14. Maybe just maybe get the ball out faster. Don't run around mm-hmm. and get sacked so much. That's why you have so many sacks. Well, that's what, you know, the advanced analytics is looking towards that. That yeah, your offensive line matters, but what the quarterback's doing matters more than, than the actual offensive line. See, this is a situation for me, like with Deshaun Watson. So you're going to trade him, say the Jets take him on. They're going to have to give up what? Three first rounders minimum? That team's not good now. You had Deshaun, Deshaun um, Watson. Now you don't have a nice pick for half a decade. I just don't see, like, they're almost dooming themselves trying to get traded to these teams for ransoms. You're helping out your former team. You're going to go to a team that's never going to acquire anything. Yes, and we talked about this before. I mean, they say, oh, look, it's empowerment. These players are empowering themselves. They're doing things like the NBA. Now, remember, in the NBA, though, it's been a few players. Now, Harden did it and it whatever. But, but again, LeBron is the only player that has this power. because, And even he doesn't want it. Because once you have this power, if people know, like, say they say, okay, Deshaun, we're going to give you full power. You can pick the general manager. You can pick the coach. Then players, LeBron doesn't want to, everyone to think he has the power. Yep. Because then they're going to come to him saying, oh, why can't I get more money? Why can't I do this? Why can't you do that? And that's going to be pressure. It's like, well, LeBron, why don't you take less money so we can sign this? They, they don't want to be a general manager on this team. And I think that's the issue with some of these players, like Russell Wilson said, I want to pick the, like, what does Russell Wilson know about the offensive lineman for Boise State? Like, I, how's he going to know how to draft And he should be one? focusing on that. Yes, I mean, you have <laughs> lots of things to focus on, and I, I agree that he should be involved in, but it seems like, I mean, a lot comes down to, I, look, I take Russell's side on this, is that in the 2015 Super Bowl, when he threw the interception, and they didn't run the ball into Marshall Lynch, people said, well, they wanted Russell Wilson to be the MVP, not Marshall Lynch to run it in, and that's the play call. But again, I don't think it was a terrible play call. We see quarterbacks from the one-yard line throw all the time. I know Marshall was, but I think everyone's saying, oh, it's the worst play call of all time. I don't know. I mean, if Russell Wilson is supposedly the highest paid, going to be the highest paid quarterback, is going to be a transcendent quarterback, you think he can complete a one-yard pass to win the Super Bowl <laughs> down 28-24. I mean, really, that's what it, and Brady's done that many times where he's thrown the ball from the one-yard line. So I just don't think that was that craziest play. If that's, if that's the Green Bay Packers, they're throwing four times there because they're putting the ball in Aaron Rodgers' hands, not Aaron Jones. And I don't care if Aaron Jones has run for 200 yards yeah, in the game. They're matter. not handy. And I just think when I listen to First Take and all these shows, they, they talk about that pass as like the worst play in the history of mankind. <laughs> and I'm like, this Russell Wilson is supposedly this great quarterback, which he is, and that's why he's having the demands that he's going to pick, you know, be the general manager of the team. But the same thing is that then he's got to be able to complete that pass. And Malcolm Butler made a great interception and won the game for the Patriots. But on the one hand, you can't say, Wilson is this great quarterback. You have to do is make him happy, this and that. Well, make him happy. Let him throw a win to be the, the touchdown for the Super Bowl. We'll talk more about this later. We do have Kurt Sampson on the line one second for him. But J.J. Watt says he wants to go to a winner and then goes to the worst team in the best division in Arizona. <laughs> Maybe it was more about the money than the winning, Ira. Clearly, clearly <laughs> that was the case. Let's go to Kurt Sampson, best-selling author. Uh, Kurt, thank you so much for coming on Ira on Sports once again. 
Oh, it's a pleasure uh, to be back. Thanks for having me. Ira? Kurt, I really appreciate you coming on. You're probably one of the few experts in terms of writing a biography on Ben Hogan and also Tiger Woods. So, I mean, in, amongst many other golf books. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. And Thanks. Actually, actually two on Tiger. Uh, when you count them all up, I had, um, uh, um, I'm sorry to interrupt, but in 2002, I had Chasing Tiger and then most recently Roaring Back. <laughs> Right. Uh, so, sorry. No, sorry that's how we had you when you talked about Roaring Back, and I, I, that was a <laughs> tremendous book, and both of them. But And I have to say is that we brought you on, and I didn't have a chance. I mean, you wrote your Hogan. What year did you write your book on Ben Hogan? Uh, that came out in 96, I think, 96-ish, 7, maybe. Yes, in there. Right. So I think a lot of people now— People who follow golf know who Ben Hogan is, but I think that some people, again, the prisoners of the moment type people, they, you know, they only won nine majors, Nicholas won 18, Woods 15, Walter Hagen 11, player won nine. But the point is that 1999, ESPN ranked him as the 38th greatest athlete of the century, and in most polls, he's ranked as the top four golfers of all time, between Jack Nicholas, Tiger Woods, and Bobby Jones. So clearly... Uh, ben Hogan is is viewed as this is this uh, you know a la larger than life type golfer. Maybe people today don't remember him, so they don't, they don't remember, but don't know about much about him. Uh, that, that's true. Well, it's just a, a matter of time, I suppose. Um, his heyday, after all, was in the '40s and '50s. He won his last tournament in in '59, I think it was. But uh, for uh, we aficionados and purists, he um, he hung the moon. He, he the way he played, and then his Greta Garbo like uh, um, persona outside the ropes. Uh, it was a powerful combination. I mean, we're talking. We're going to compare him the similarities to Tiger Woods in terms of the car mm -hmm. accident. Which I mean, the moment I heard about this, I thought about Ben Hogan. And I, the one thing is that I couldn't believe he was thirty. I thought it was when he was younger when he had the accident. I realized he was thirty-seven years old when he had uh, the accident with the Greyhound bus. I was shocked to, to find mm -hmm. out that he was as, mm -hmm. as old as he was. Um, actually, thirty-six. Um, he uh, was a couple of months away from his thirty-seventh uh, birthday. But there's all the difference in terms of uh, possibility of coming back to play. Um, that's a huge difference between Tiger's, Tiger's recent crash and Hogan's in 1949, I guess it was. Ben was much younger, and he hadn't had five spine surgeries and four left knee surgeries or whatever the exact count is. I'm kind of forgetting at the moment. Tiger's, it's as uh, <clears throat> Indiana Jones said, it's, it's not the year, it's the mileage. <laughs> Just to get back to Ben for a second, I, I mean, their grow, their, the youth is a, a lot different. I mean, Ben Hogan, at 5'8", 145, uh, his father, I, I think, committed suicide in front of him. Um, he was so broke, he, at nine years old, he sort of just took a job as a caddy, never finished high school, and, and, and just... Just this type of career where, and even when he was younger, when he turned pro, he, he just was not this, you know, he was not the, when Tiger was, you know, four years old, he was on the Bob Hope show, and, and, and everybody was looking at Tiger yeah. for, you know, his whole life, whereas Ben Hogan, nobody was looking at for, for most of his life. <laughs> That's, uh, everything you said just now <clears throat> was true, where Tiger was a prodigy. Uh, Hogan really had to uh, come up with a, a golf game on his own, and, and he did through extremely diligent uh, practice. He virtually invented modern practice, the way uh, professionals and uh, serious golfers get 
on the practice tee and don't leave until uh, every ball is gone. Um, so th- th- you, you pointed out another uh, stark difference between these two characters. Yeah, and then and it's and right when it he didn't start winning on the tour until like he was ten for he didn't win for ten years he was like being playing on the tour and as a golf pro but then when he started winning he just sort of and then the only thing that stopped him was first of all you mentioned the book that the war he lost three years he he had lost three years so there was no Masters U.S. Open or British Open really six years of British Open uh, and that sort mm-hmm. of uh, and that sort of you know that you know certainly in the middle of prime of his career he was in the mar he was in the army and didn't even play golf or didn't play golf but there was no tour to play for. Yeah, that's an overlooked, overlooked uh, aspect of the, the um, equation when people are trying to figure out the greatest, which is, as you know, you probably know greatest football, greatest anything. It's a, it's a little bit of a dicey uh, thing to do, not intellectually completely honest. It's hard to compare. There is, it, it's, it's so theoretical. It doesn't stop us from doing it. Uh, you know, the, the, you just mentioned Majors won. Well, uh, a guy like Walter Hagen didn't have the, the Masters to play in during during his prime. So the the the, the major um, measurement is it's kind of a, um, elusive, and it it may not be the best way to um, to evaluate um, different players. So, and then you mentioned in 46, he won 13 tournaments, including the PGA Championship. In 47, he won seven tournaments. And then in 48, he won 10 tournaments. So he won 30 tournaments in three years. He won the U.S. Open at Riviera and the PGA Championship. And so he is, you know, the number one golfer in the world, number one everything. And then describe, and then in 49, he has this accident. I mean, they didn't have planes. He wasn't flying around everywhere, you know, private jets like Garthers do. So he was in Phoenix and driving back to Fort Worth. And, uh, and just describe what happened in this accident that was, you know, that struck him down. Uh, that's, that's right. That's the, the right point to make. Ten wins the year before, and he'd already won two on the uh, tour in February when he and uh, the wife were going back to uh, break in their new house in, uh, in Fort Worth. And the story's been told. It's pretty familiar, but still horrifying to think about driving on a foggy road creeping along at 15 miles an hour when a Greyhound bus comes out of the fog from the opposite direction, um, impatiently passing another car and going really way too fast for the conditions. And that uh, that bus just caught the, the Hogan's Cadillac uh, head on. At the last moment um, at impact, um, Hogan jumped sideways out of his seat, I mean, to the extent you can do that, to more or less cover up his wife's body. So Ben got all the injuries. Valerie got a, a, a nick and a, and a bruise. But uh, uh, Hogan was severely injured to his, uh, his left side, number of broken bones, including the pelvis, which is a hard bone to break. So he was uh, impacted very severely. I mean, they said, I think he was in the hospital for two months. And there were reports at the time that he, they didn't even think he could walk again. Uh, and just the recovery time, I and mean, certainly don't have the medical procedures they have now, but to think that, uh, and then you, and I think one mention was he was actually blinded in his left eye, which hurt his putting. So he was just all hurt all over. And, and, but to think that uh, he could come back in 11 months to play golf was just, it just, it was insane to think that. A testament to the, the guy's self-image. He, uh, no matter what, he 
had now after he started to accomplish what he always wanted to, which was win golf tournaments. Nothing. He didn't want anything to stand in his way, not even that life-threatening car crash. So, in one of the few conversations I had with the man, we talked about um, what he what he did next when he he finally got home from the hospital and he couldn't stand it anymore and he put his his feet on the floor and started doing laps around his bed as he called them with one hand on the mattress and he'd just do a few and then a few more each day and he built up from there so his comeback was quite impressive one of the uh, one of the great sports stories and then, I mean, in from 50 to 56, he didn't even compete in most, because back in those days, the PGA Championship and British Open were on the same day. But in the 56, 56, he, in the Masters, he, was, he won six majors. He was fourth, first, seventh, first, second, second in the Masters. And in the U.S. Open, he was first, first, third, first, and two more seconds. Uh, just an amazing run. I don't think Tiger ever had a run like that with those two tournaments. And, and I just think that in those six years, for him to win, now he only won 12 wins, but six of them were majors after the accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, highlighted by his year of 1953, in which his body permitted, body and timing permitted him to play only six events, five of which he won, and three of those were majors, including his only uh, British Open. And you, and you think, I mean, Tiger has talked a lot. I mean, he's mentioned about how he said the only two golfers have ever owned their swing, mentioning Ben Hogan and yeah. Jack Nicklaus made that comment. You've got to think, you know, Tiger, who knows everything about golf there has to be, will, will be using Hogan as inspiration to come to, I mean, first of all, learn, you know, walking and everything else. But certainly as someone he's followed, I, I, you've got to hope that someone like Ben Hogan's turnaround and comeback would be a source of inspiration to Tiger. Yeah, Ty, uh, Hogan really was uh, is all has probably always been large in in uh, Tiger's mind. He uh, expressed that pretty uh, explicitly one day a few years ago uh, when he went out to uh, Hogan's club in in Fort Worth, um, and my friend uh, the pro there, uh, Mike Wright, arranged for Tiger to have some of Ben's clubs clubs Ben played with. He also got out his video camera, and, and, and Tiger just had a ball for, for quite a long time hitting these uh, very heavy, flat, odd sticks that, that, that Hogan played with that were virtually guaranteed to prevent a hook. You just couldn't hit a hook with these, uh, these uh, funny clubs Ben, ben Hogan had. But it was a you know, pretty uh, explicit clue that uh, about um, – Tiger's respect for Ben Hogan. Right. And you did mention, I mean, what I was heard you on another interview once you mentioned how before the accident, Hogan was viewed as, as you said, a Greta Garbo type of character, just even as a golfer, people didn't really know. But after the accident, after he started winning, he just became you know, very popular and very, just the, the fans yeah. just, you know, gravitated to him. Yeah, that's true. Ben, you know, pre-accident, um, didn't have much time for people. Uh, kids jumping around him for autographs. They might get him, but they, he might also say, go away, Sonny. Um, I, I know that it happened quite a bit. Uh, afterwards, you know, I guess looking death in the face uh, could have could have changed him. That wouldn't be, doesn't seem unfair to project that onto him. He became, since he couldn't practice like he 
had before. He just wasn't physically up to it. He had a little more time at golf tournaments, and he more or less became one of the boys, um, uh, which in those days meant uh, meet me at the bar. <laughs> so, uh, well, I appreciate you, Kirk, coming on and talking about Hogan and Tiger. What, in terms of the books, I mean, what's the best way to get to learn, to follow you? To, to are you working on any new books uh, that we should follow? Because you've certainly, I think, I've read three of your books so far. So, I just, you know, what's the best way for our listeners to actually purchase one of your books, or which books would you say they should start with? Um, I, you know, start, uh, since uh, Tiger's in the news, why not uh, the, the current book uh, called Roaring Back, which is more or less instant nostalgia for Tiger's win at the 2019 Masters, which was, I bet in your lifetime, Ira, and mine, it was about the most popular win um, ever. Uh, maybe Nicholas at the Masters in 86, although you're far too young to recall that. Yeah, um, it's a... I'm, I'm quite proud of the book, um, and, I, and I hope people will like Roaring Back. But the others, um, gosh, they're like children to me, Ira. It's hard for me to uh, recommend one over the other. No, I love what I've read. We had you on last year to watch it about Roaring Back, and I just thought it was great because you really captured uh, the essence of that victory and everything that it meant to golf and for people and, and certainly the crossover effect it had on, on non-golf fans and, and certainly the country and people that wouldn't sit and watch an entire – they wouldn't watch one hole of golf, let alone 18 holes, were just captivated by, to their TV screens and calling everybody to turn it on and watch it. So I think that's what yeah. it had it. Yeah, unless it's Tiger. Tiger's the one guy still who can move the needle. Uh, as you say, bring in the, the people who really don't give a flip about golf. They, they might still care pretty deeply about this charismatic uh, man with the, uh, with the fast swing and the big teeth. Well, Kurt, thank you so much for coming on Ira Sports. I really appreciate it. We hope to have you on uh, in the future to talk about some golf, maybe talk about another comeback from Tiger. Uh, it would be great. But uh, thank you so much for coming on Iron Sports. It is my pleasure. Thanks, Ira. 744 Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. And Ira, <clears throat> we said you took in two events in one week. Uh, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty here in basketball, almost to the uh, All-Star game. And you got to take in a Heat game. And this was – we were a little skeptical on the Heat about uh, 10 days ago. Like, this could be a tough stretch for them. But they're looking pretty good lately. Maybe it's because you're attending. It was just one game. <laughs> but it was so funny. <laughs> After the game, I found out that they fired the Hawks. Atlanta Hawks fired, fired Lloyd you Pierce. You saw his last coach. game. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I saw his last game. It was so weird going to the game. I, I have to say, as someone who's gone to, uh, I don't know, 50, 60 Heat games, 70 games, I, a lot of games. But – I it was it was I got there at halftime, so it was weird to get there at halftime and come in. But there, I think it seats like a couple thousand. I mean, there were ten thousand at Homestead, and uh, it seats fifty five, sixty thousand, and it seemed empty there. But this the Heat game seemed extremely, extremely mm-hmm. empty. Now I know that Heat fans are late arriving, so usually if you show a game, <laughs> it's not really that many people there anyway. But it was weird how you went in, and the dogs were certainly something completely different in terms of the, I would have just, never expected uh, just checking the dogs and everything. And there was no, but the other weird thing, no food at all. 
You can't, not only no food, you can't bring food. Like they had the food in the outside. There's that uh, portico outside that you could eat and you had to eat your food out there. I don't know if they even brought lunch. They didn't let you, like I saw no one even drinking water. Like you think you had to go really out weird. to drink. Well, they didn't want people to take their mask out. And unlike the car race where people had their mask, everybody, I didn't see one person without like five masks on their face. Everybody had a mask on. And there was no one within like, I think 50 feet of me. I mean, there was some people say, are you scared of going to the game? I, there was nobody around me. I, like, I, could, I don't think I could have hit someone with a baseball by throwing it that was so far away. And I don't have that bad a bad arm. So. But, it's interesting uh, not doing um, concessions, though, because you'd think that's where they're making their money. By allowing fans, now you have to have security, people checking them. Like You'd think you'd want that boosted revenue. No, I, guess I think they're just trying to get through it and trying to. Uh, uh, they don't want any problems and trying to be careful with it. Um, the one thing is the piped in noise. The fans are very quiet. When you watched it on TV and hear the noise, that's not the fans at all. You can't tell. Yeah. No, it's totally piped in noise. It's like like the uh, football games, I felt like that was the fans. Like I didn't feel at the football games like they were piping in noise. This was piped in noise. Like This was 100% piped in noise. There were the fans were making no noise whatsoever at the game. Um, but uh, look, I'm I just thought it was neat going to that game and, and then like when you left in terms of it was just weird. There was there was a lot of it was a, it did feel different. It felt different than the football games because I just felt like we were so spread out. There were so few fans mm-hmm. there, and I was sitting. I sat in that first row of the upper deck, which I I think is not that bad a seat, but it was because I couldn't get anything lower. To, and so I had this first row of the upper deck, and I just I mean I enjoyed watching the game, and and there was I love the fact there's no one around you standing up and everything like that. There was like no one any row around me first, mm-hmm. like three or four rows there. Uh, but I look, I love this Heat team. Um, they've now won six in a row for this week. They beat Oklahoma City, Toronto. They had a big win against Utah, one of mm-hmm. the best teams. Then they beat Atlanta last night. You know, a lot helps because Butler's back. Jimmy Butler, 27 Huge. points. Toronto, 33 against Utah. Butler did not play last night. But Kendrick Nunn had 24 points. And Kendrick Nunn last year, he had COVID. He, got, he wasn't playing well. But even before COVID, he wasn't playing well. Injuries, everything like this. Kendrick Nunn is what we saw at the beginning of last year. He's playing great. Uh, and then you have, like, Drogic is now healthy playing. Uh, Duncan Robinson's not been playing that great, but he's still healthy playing out of bio. And Alinek is starting when you have a bench of Tyler Hero who's been and hurt. I mean, if you look at they, he'd have played 34 games. Butler's only played 21 and 34. Hero, 23. Drogic, 20. Uh, Avery Bradley, who they're counting on as a big big reserves only play 10 so I really think as the Heat keep getting healthy I, again I'm not looking at these playoffs everyone said oh where the Sixers had the best record Joel Embiid is not going to stay healthy no. this whole year like it's just not going to happen and I just look at the Sixers as a team that's just going to be without Embiid we've seen them shrink in the playoffs anyway and I, and look and, and the Nets everyone says looks so great they're the second best record but Harden's played more games than Kevin Durant Durant has been out. Kyrie gets hurt. You think they're going to be healthy in the playoffs? No. Um, the Bucks now are starting to play well. They they had a big win over the Pelicans. Jonas and Zion had a big game, um, but uh, and then they beat the Clippers on Sunday. So I, I think I think the I like the Bucks. I like the Celtics who have been dealing with injuries, and I love the Heat. I think again the Heat have this. I was nervous. I told you they're only at 500 now, mm-hmm. but considering that you have like seven teams within 500 in the East, no one's running away with it, and I don't care. Games played in January when everybody's out with COVID, they count in the standings, but don't count how these teams are going to play in June. Clearly, this is all setting up for the Knicks to make a uh, world championship run. I think I think they're a game over 500, and they're in fourth place. They're, so. Well, they're ahead of the Heat. Yeah. They're a game, and they're playing well. And I think it's weird. Tibro, talk about coaching. Uh, Tibro's Tibro, Tibro done a phenomenal job. Julius Randle has finally found a place. And making a little trade, like bringing Derrick Rose in there, mm-hmm. has played. He's played great. They are, uh, it's just the coaching. Is Tibro's a great yeah. coach, and, and they're, 
they're finally. You know, the Knicks have been terrible when they're 500 and people are excited. People are loving it. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It's been 20 good years uh, since then. How's the West looking? The West is interesting because the Utah Jazz are 27 and 7. They beat the Lakers. They destroyed them, and people still don't give them any credit at all. Never. The Jazz, it's never going to happen. They're awful. They're this. Uh, Donovan Mitchell's just okay. Nice player in the regular season. Gobert and everything. But they keep winning games, but they shoot. I mean, I watched the game against. I mean, they are a great shooting team. And what I like about them is, and they're playing the Heat. If you ever watch Heat, watch the halftime show uh, when the coach uh, goes and the, goes through the breakdowns. And the Heat play like that. Is that just because you're open on a three-point shot doesn't mean you take the three-point shot. Jimmy Butler's open on three-point shots, but a lot of times he'll throw the ball around, and then he'll score on the two-point shot when the ball comes. It's taking the best shot, not taking the first shot. It's taking the best shot. And I love how Utah plays. The Lakers are 24-11, and they've had issues with Davis is now out. Anthony Davis out for mm -hmm. a month. Dennis Schroeder's been hurt. I think LeBron's the MVP. He's playing great. Um, and But they're, they're, they're my favorite to win the West, too. And the Clippers are on and off with, with you know, it's funny. Kawhi Leonard's played more games this year than he's played in years past in terms of percentage. <laughs> and Paul George, they actually are playing games. And the surprise team is the Suns. I mean, uh, it's just in terms of Chris Paul being healthy and playing and Devin Booker, who was not on the All-Star team, but they put on um, this. I, I People like the Suns, but being 22-11, they're playing great. Uh, but that's sort of what, you know, Dallas at 16-16, and 16, people are surprised that New Orleans was Zion. They said they are trying might be trying to sh shop Porzingis now. Porzingis, I, I have him on my fantasy team, so I I, I, I don't want him. I think he's, I just want him to stay healthy. <laughs> Stick with Luka. <laughs> but uh, um, it's it's interesting. I mean, you have teams like Portland and Hurt. I mean, a lot of these teams are playing injured. As someone who plays fantasy, it's really just hard to, to figure out how this goes on. But I've been enjoying, like, I have the, pack, the NBA package, so what I do at night, sometimes at the end of it, is I'll watch, like, the last four or five minutes of a game because some of these games like you can watch every one of the games and there's always a few of them that are pretty close uh, that are exciting to watch so I just think you know it's interesting the whole thing with the, the Hawks because I want Trey Young and remember Trey Young was drafted the Mavericks had that pick but they traded yeah. up to get to get uh, the, the Hawks traded down yes. to get um, to uh, get a Young over Doncic. Doncic, right. And Doncic is clearly the better player. Now, other people say Young, but I've watched Young play, and he was he's he so score. small, he scores, but it's just that he's not Luka he's Doncic. Not Luka it's Doncic. not, and, and everything, it's just like one of those draft moves that I think was a terrible, terrible, terrible mistake. Well, that... I think a lot of people were skeptical on Doncic, or he should have went number one overall. You know, I think he fell the third. So it was just kind of a weird draft there. And I guess they were – Trey Young was really good in college. But, yeah, it's definitely not what we're seeing in Luka. Speaking of college, Ira, your prediction so far is, is coming, to, coming to light. Gonzaga hasn't lost. Doesn't look like they will lose. And this should be a pretty crazy tournament coming up. Well, it should be crazy because Gonzaga will be one of the first teams to, since Kentucky to enter the tournament. Only one team since 1976, Indiana. They're the team who won, who won the regular season undefeated and then went to the tournament and then won the title as undefeated. Um, this Gonzaga team has everything, as we talked about. They beat Santa Clara by 14, Luella Marin by 17. And people who criticize their, their record, they did beat those four top teams when the year started. And, they, and just by the eye test, they look like they can do everything. They shoot threes well. They have senior leadership. Jalen Suggs is going to be one of the top players taken in the NBA in the NBA draft. Um, they're going to they start five NBA basketball players that, that, that are going to be starting on NBA basketball teams. Yeah. This Gonzaga team is totally loaded. And Baylor, who everyone thought was going to be their top competition, they had three-week break with COVID. They come back. They beat Iowa State by two. And then they lose to Kansas. They play terrible that game. Uh, and, uh, and Butler, their star player, is like three 
three points most the most of the game. Um, but I, look, I expect them to be back. And the team that everyone, my friend, a ton of Michigan fans. Everybody's excited about Michigan. They're 18 and one. Um, they play Illinois on Tuesday, which should be an exciting game in terms of Illinois might be not having their best player play. But uh, this is the time in Michigan. You know, Michigan fans. They're this is like they're forgetting about football. Yeah, exactly. this is the center of the universe <laughs> is Michigan. So we have that. And, and look, Florida State's 14 and four. They've had a lot of games canceled because of COVID. They're going to be like a three C. They just gave Leonard Hamilton a five year extension. Um, so it'll be interesting. Florida State. This is one of the years. I mean, every year in and year out, they we had Terrence Mann, one of their players, on yeah. uh, last year. And 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 after losing him and a lot of these players, we had you know they said uh, uh, you know they, they they felt like the team was still going to be in good hands, and they, it is in good hands because they keep winning. Um, tonight. Uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, uh, Cody Cunningham had 20 points, six rebounds, four assists. They just played two games ago when Oklahoma State won in overtime. That should be a great game at 9 o'clock. I want to see. People think Cunningham could be the first pick in the draft, so this is a chance you don't want to like college basketball, want to watch NBA, watch him at 9 o'clock. Baylor plays to West Virginia on Tuesday. Baylor plays Oklahoma State on Thursday. And uh, uh, I think one of these interesting things about the tournament is that these Louisville, Indiana, Michigan State, and Duke, and even Kentucky, which is not has to win the league, are like on the bubble to get in. Kentucky has yeah. to win the tournament to get on. But the way they do that first four, remember that first four, they play at Dayton, it's like Tuesday and Wednesday, and usually it's like St. Louis, Providence, no one nobody pays attention. Yeah, nobody cares. If you're not, if you're not a big, if you're a school and you're on the bubble, let me, let me get this, they're, they're going to put Louisville, Indiana, Michigan State, and Duke in. If they can put Duke, Indiana alone <laughs> in a game as a play-in, they're going to be in the tournament. Like, it's just, it's clear that's what's going to happen because they want people excited. That, that'll that be that Thursday night. They're starting the tournament. The tournament goes Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So they're going to start that Thursday, Wednesday, and Thursday night, they're going to put the Indiana, Louisville's, Michigan. I mean, can you imagine Louisville, Indiana, the Michigan State Duke or anything, you know, getting in there? And if Kentucky was a, th those that they call them the blue bloods, they're, they're definitely going to be in it. it. And it'll give us a reason to watch. we got about five minutes left here. Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. So, Ira, we were all excited about, you know, a big title, a big fight happening right here in our backyard. <laughs> wasn't as good as we thought it was going well, to be. Well, I didn't think it was going to be good. I was excited about it, but it was worse than uh, Canelo Alvarez, who is considered pound for pound to be the first or second best boxer. It's rare that you get to see him in Miami. They usually fight these in Vegas and in other places. It's weird that a fight like this was held in Miami. You know, you, you, the Ali Liston fight, uh, one, one remembers, but there hasn't been that mm -hmm. many great fights in Florida. But it was great to, uh, to have, and I was thinking about going, and the tickets were a mess. It was so expensive, and I felt I was going to have a big day on Sunday, and I didn't go down to it. But I, I, I'm happy I did, and it was. <laughs> I had it watched on the zone. It was absolutely terrible. Yildren was the number one contender, um, and it was he's from Turkey, super middleweight title, and he was like, uh, whatever we talked about, the chance of winning at about a hundred dollars to win a dollar. <laughs> it was crazy. But all I'm going to say is, it was three rounds of just. They could have put a punching bag in there, and it would have been more of exciting. Like there was a chance <laughs> that Camilla, because literally the uh, the punch start, it was sixty. Alvarez landed sixty-seven punches. Yildren landed eleven. He just stood there it's for three rounds and let Alvarez. Alvarez hit him. Third round, he got knocked down. And Alvarez is known to start slow. So he was sort of like you know, going slow. So really, it wasn't even that great. It wasn't Alvarez the first round was like pounding him. It was like he was just hitting him and he was just standing there. Like they would hit a punching bag. It was like that. <laughs> and then in the third round, one of the trainers told Yildren, he's like, I'm going to stop this fight if you don't start throwing, but do something. And then the next thing I turned, I'm watching the Gonzaga game. Next thing I turned back, the other one of the other ringmen threw in the towel and they said, We're not even doing this. And it was like, I think it was a fraud on the fans. That It was a terrible fight. So I'm glad I didn't pay whatever and drive the whole way down there and deal with everything to see that fight in person. On the bright side, we got some uh, UFC to look forward to. This 
if you're ever going to buy a UFC card, this could be it. UFC 259 this weekend, Israel Adebisaya, who is considered the number two over, overall uh, pound for pound against John Blankenship. And there, he's the light heavyweight champ, and Israel is the middleweight championship. Rarely do you have two champions fight each other. And he's only a two, like a 200 to one, you know, bet 200, bet 100. Uh, it's, it's, the odds are very close on this fight. So that should be a great fight. Amanda Nunes, who is the best women's fighter of all time, is fighting uh, Megan Anderson. Heavy, heavy favorite, but a chance to see Nunes. But then Peter Yan, who is the Bantamweight champion, is fighting Armand, Armand Sterling, who's the number one contender, and the odds on that are even. So you really have two great even fights, and you get to see Nunes fight. It's one of the greatest. Each one of these, it's interesting, because of COVID and other issues, each one of these was going to be the signature match of a UFC card that was canceled. So you put them all three together, just makes it one of the best UFC cards of all time. Excited for that stuff. And Ira, I'm always excited for baseball. Spring training's here. I don't know if you saw today, Jamison Talon absolutely dealt for the Yankees in his first appearance, one, two, three inning on seven pitches. So it could be another pitcher that leaves the Pirates and finds success elsewhere. But we're starting back up, minus Tim Tebow, and I'm really excited about it. <laughs> well, I think it's exciting. Look, I'm going to get to—we uh, we didn't spend, spend that much time on baseball we're, this so far, but I have some interesting authors coming on. I tried to get some players on. But the fact that we have the Mets and the Cardinals and the Nationals and the Astros and the Marlins all playing uh, for the next 28 days, I, I love going to minor league baseball. I know they're allowing a couple thousand fans a yep. game. Um, but if you have a chance, go to it. I think it's everything socially distanced if you feel comfortable going. But I love going to minor league baseball. I enjoy these games. Uh, and remember, my, my is always get there early because the, they, they play three, four innings and they all leave. So if you want to see the stars, let's say Alonado from uh, Arenado from the Cardinals, get there in the first inning. Don't show up at second and third inning. It's like they're out. He's they're, getting 1AB. They're, when they're <laughs> at the fourth or fifth inning, they're back at the hotel. Like yeah. they're, you're going to be in the stands watching. So unless you want to watch their C-League team, you better get there early to watch these games. But I'm excited to go to both ballparks and and I love I love minor league. I mean, I love spring training. It's great. It's an advance that we have here. And certainly just to watch if you have kids and to, and to watch these come so close because when you go to these major league parks, you're, the distance is so great mm -hmm. between you and the players. It's so much fun to actually be so close. And that's why, you know, I'm sure there's dozens and dozens of St. Louis Cardinals fans listening to the show right now. They fill up Jupiter this time of year because it is that experience. They could go to Bush whenever they want and see a game, but when you're at Roger Dean Stadium, you're five feet away from these guys, and everyone seems to be in a lighter, better mood. And it's funny you bring up, you know, COVID and all that. They've got great outdoor areas, you know, like grass that you can just hang out in, bring the family and picnic. So you're not even super close to everybody. Right. It's it's a great time, great time. And it's it's fortunate. We have uh, two ballparks that are there. And plus, if you want to go, I've gone up to Port St. Lucie and watched the Mets nice, play. Right? So it's not, it's a nice, it's what, 30 minute drive up there. Yeah. So it's been it's been great. So I'm excited. We're going to talk about these teams. We have a long baseball season, but we got five teams right here that are playing. Now, they're not doing if you're looking for the Yankees and the Red Sox and they're not coming. They're just playing. These five teams yes. are just playing. That's all they're doing. So they're just playing each other. Yeah, no, it's disappointing how the schedule worked out, but I'm glad that we had it to attend. Those games are not even, I think they're overrated. The, the, the Yankees come, the Yankees. They don't, they'll, they'll bring, yeah. the, it's not the Yankees when they come. I, so. I always have people say, let's go, you know, it's 150 bucks to go to the Yankees game. Like, Brett Gardner is going to be the, the top draw. Yes. Not sending anybody from Tampa. Aaron Judge does it. not ride the bus across the state. This is not going to happen. <laughs> you know, he would get and he'd probably get injured. Stanton would get injured riding the bus over. <laughs> yeah, he twisted his ankle, <laughs> getting off the bus. None of that for Stanton. Um, Speaking of a lot of things to do here in Florida, a lot of people don't realize that the Florida Panthers right now are the best team in the Central Division. Tampa Bay's in second. Hockey's one of these funny sports, Ira. 
you don't play at the same time as most of the guys. It's just you and two others if you're on offense, one other on defense. So the Panthers get rid of their top goal scorer from last year, and they get rid of, of, of Jenny Dodnov, who is supposed to be this superstar. They bring in uh, Patrick Hornquist, who's a journeyman, and Radko Gudis, a journeyman, and they're the best team in the conference. Addition by subtraction, but it's so funny how you can turn a team around with one or two moves, and it's a completely different lineup. Yeah, it's it's just amazing in terms of I'm not following hockey as well as you. You're the the expert of all experts. I'll on get this. you on it before the but end of the season. But I, 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 I would say though that Tampa Bay again. I mean, you talk about a hangover from winning the title. I mean, again with the the great record that they have. I mean, they have a plus thirty goal differential yeah. uh, coming in after winning the Stanley Cup title. And you know, people talk about the Lakers struggling after winning the title. The quick turnaround doesn't seem to affect Tampa Bay. And Andre Vasilevsky two starts this week two shutouts it doesn't hurt when you have the best goalie in the league but we'll be keeping up with these florida panthers ira i get a really good feeling a cup run is coming this year from the florida panthers so stick around we'll have uh, some panthers insiders as we need them what's your plans for this week you've been pretty busy Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely watch some baseball. So we'll try to get out to watch some baseball this week. Um, the question is this weekend: Do I want to go to Bay Hill or to go watch some minor league baseball games? Uh, the Heat. Remember, there's an NBA All Star game this weekend, so the Heat play like on Tuesday, and that's the only game you go to. But I'm interested in terms of either go to Bay Hill or go to some ba- probably some baseball games. Um, and next week we're gonna have Ken Kennerly on. Yep. The Honda is only three weeks away, so we get to talk about the Honda Classic. How many spectators are gonna be there? How do you get tickets? How should you go? What happens when you go there? Those things. So it's gonna be interesting to bring Ken on and talk to him about that. And then we'll hopefully get some good golfers in. Like last year we had uh, Mitchell and we had Jim Herman and we had Greg Chalmers. Uh, so I hope to bring some of these guys back or some other different golfers to come and talk about the Honda Classic. Ken will get us Brooks and Daniel Berger, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Here for Iron Sports. We hope, we <laughs> hope, we hope. But it, it'll be interesting. We, remember, we have uh, Bay Hill this week in Orlando, the next week of the players, and then the Honda. I'm nervous to... I was nervous when you look at what players are playing at Bay Hill because the question is, are they going to play three weeks in a row? Yeah. Already Brooks is confirmed and already Berger is confirmed and Ken's going to come on next week and maybe give us some other big name. But Rory's playing in this tournament and Spieth is playing in this tournament. So you're looking at players that are playing in this tournament. You know they're playing in players the next week. Are they? Is this a play, Is Rory going to play three weeks in a row? So that's yeah. the question. And Rory's been a fan favorite at this tournament for years, yeah, so, so let's hope yeah, we get to see so him. So it would be, it's, 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 it's one of those battles, because remember the week after is the World Golf Championship, so there's another one of those World Golf events where you get the guaranteed money, no cut line, money, more money, and like that, so it's it's interesting to see this year, they move the tournament back, and actually to the benefit, because being starting later now, it's going to allow more fans coming in, if it was starting earlier, like this week or next mm. week, it would have been a problem, so I think that uh, it helps, but we'll see what happens. We are out of time, thank you so much to Kurt Sampson for stopping by, on behalf of Ira, I'm Mike, let's talk next Monday night, it's Iron Sports.